invite uh, David up here. I've got this book, one of these books that, uh, you know, it's got pictures in it and you look at it and you can't see anything and then you look, you, you're sort of shown how to look and you see something coming out of that picture. It's an old illustration. But uh, in Acts chapter 13, Paul is talking to people about Jesus and he explains that God sent his son and he explains uh, the history of Judaism and then he explains how uh, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And there's a phrase that he uses once he said that. He says, um, take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look at you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. And really, part of what we're learning how to claim is the unbelievable of what Jesus won for us. And so much of the church has just stayed in the natural, which is he went to the cross for our sin, but he went to the cross for our sin. As I always say, we have a shower in the morning for a reason. We don't just live to have showers. And so David is helping us enter into the unbelievable. And I just say that to encourage you. Don't let, when it, when it gets unbelievable, that's when you turn off. That's actually when we're turning on to go, I want the unbelievable. It doesn't all make sense, but there's enough to give faith to springboard into so that's why we're so grateful for David coming to share and help us grow in that area. Thanks, John. Why don't you hold on to that mic for a second? Do a bit of roving mic to start. I'd love to hear um, some of the dreams last night. Who had a dream last night they'd like to share? Um, I had a dream about a girl named Crystal Heed. And um, it's not Crystal Heed. It's Crystal Heed. Crystal, listen up. And... Um, I don't know who she is, and she might not even be here, but it was about a family. What God wants to say is, Crystal, there's a family that's being prepared to welcome you. They're, they're waiting for you, and they're making preparations to make this home a safe place for you to come into. And um, because the things that you're struggling with, you actually need to come into a family and have people surround you and bring you through your struggles into a place of victory. And um, it's a safe place, and, and, and there's other people in there that have come into it, this home, and, and uh, some of them still struggle. You're not alone in this. And, but when you come, God will bring you into a place of victory, and he has for you a new identity. And it's going to be like a graduation present. It's going to be a necklace. And you get to choose what it looks like. And it's so big, this necklace he wants to put on you. Um, and it's all about a new identity. A new, it's so big that when people see you, that's all they see is this new identity um, of who he's bringing you, bringing you through this place of victory in, into new, a new place. Was that your dream or was that your... He's doing that. It's both. It's okay, great. Well, that's awesome. Does anyone identify with that? Fantastic. Fantastic. So that, that's the uh, interpretation there. And um, one of the things that I mean, I uh, was filled with the Holy Spirit and I'm trying to figure out what to do. And all of a sudden I started dreaming like off the chain. It was just crazy. It was so much stuff. And I, or it was a real mystery to me what, was, what God might be saying or if it was indeed God. So there are a lot of theories out there about, um, about what dreams are. Carl Jung has done us a disservice in his work on dreams because he thinks it's a closed, you know, the, his teaching in psychology teaches us a closed system, whereas the biblical narrative tells us that a- actually it's not a closed system. You're not just going through your, flushing out your things of the day or your subconscious, though that does happen, but it's also an avenue where God can speak. So so that's kind of one of the things that, that we did. So let, uh, Audrey, let's hear your dream and, and just hold back from any interpretation for a moment. And just uh, so I'll, I just want to just show the kind of the process that I've learned how to how to how to interpret it, because that was that was amazing. The, the first dream we had. Thank you so much. But Audrey, let's hear yours. I was handed a torch, um, but when I examined it, it, I was holding onto the bottom of it, but it wasn't oops, it wasn't fire at the top. It was more like a giant light bulb and the glass had been formed into the shape of flame. Um, one part that I don't understand is, That's okay, don't using my hands, I'm not Italian, um, half of the light that shone out of, the, out of this torch was bright red, but the other half was bright orange, sort of a yellowy orange. Okay. And it wasn't heavy, which was important to me. Now tell me, was it in color or black and white? It was in color. 
Okay, so one of the things we know about the enemy is that he has no creative ability. And uh, he, all, he can, all he can do is, is uh, I'm not quite done with the A, uh, just, so when you have a dream, if it's in black and white or muted colors, that's usually a sign that it's not coming from God, okay? And usually in a dream, it's all figurative. It's not literal. It's all imagery that, uh, that, that we use. So um, if you had to give a name to your dream, Audrey, what would it be? Just a, like a name, like thinking of the headline of a newspaper, well, what was like the central action? When you think back of the dream, what was at the very center of, of what, you, uh, what you dreamt about? Well, it was very empowering. I don't know whether that's yeah. what you mean. Yeah. And what was empowering? That I could carry this torch. Yeah. Okay. Carrying the torch. I would say that, that is kind of like the central action. And then so you, it's kind of, so you get the central action, and then all of the other details are there to um, illustrate what that means. So there you are carrying a torch, okay? And, um, and what do we know about torches? What's the purpose of a torch? Light, okay. So, um, so we've got the title, Carrying a Torch, and it's, it's really about bringing light. And when do you light a torch? In the dark. Okay, so bringing light into the dark. But what kind of torch was it? Going back to your dream. It wasn't powered by oil or... No, there was no heat. No, but it was, you said it was like a... It was like a, a glass light bulb. Okay, so there we go. So there we see that uh, like a light bulb, and unlike a fire, light bulbs are powered by what? Electricity. So there's a different power source that is normal, and this is one that actually, the kind of power here, if you put your finger in the socket, you know, it's quite shocking. You know, so, so there's a power here in the torch you're carrying that is, um, well, it's, it's rather more powerful than, you know, the Indiana Jones kind of torch, right? And, but it also means that it's got to be plugged into something in order for the light to shine. So the power isn't coming from you, but the power is coming from another source, okay? Um, now, you mentioned the colors. So uh, the, the colors you mentioned were red, yellow, and orange, now, I did not do well in art, but I do know that if you combine red and yellow, you do get that kind of orangey color. Is that right? You want to back me up? Any painters? You get green. Okay, so that's wrong uh, entirely. <laughs> but um, red, usually, and we find this in, in, in the, the scripture, but red is a color of redemption. So there's something about this torch that you're carrying that is powered by the Holy Spirit that is about ray, bringing light into the darkness and it's really about redemption. And yellow, if you, it's interesting, you chart where yellow is used in, in, the, in the scriptures. You see that yellow is the color for hope. And so what God is saying, and orange, we'll suspend judgment on that one, and just go with what we have. So what God is saying to you, Audrey, is that you carry a torch. And you've been called to bring light into the darkness, empowered by him so there's no pressure on you. And what does that light look like? Redemption and hope. I mean, that's pretty powerful. How does that sound? Does that sound good? Okay, we're going to pray that in in a moment. Okay, go ahead. There was, there's two distinct sides to it. Okay. One that was red and the other that was this, it was basically orange, but it was sort of had some yellow in okay. it. Okay. So I don't understand why there might be two different sides, yeah. two different yeah, times. Again, or, it's figurative, so I don't know. Um, yeah. Don't know on that, but you know the red is definitely the color of blood, the color of redemption, the color of you know of, of the um, you know the Passover. You know they were covered by the blood of the lamb, so the angel of death didn't come. And so there's a sense that you, by you, as you shine this light, there'll be a covering for people to come in and find redemption and hope. Did you expect that this morning? Did oh, you expect that to be said? No. Yes. You did? Oh, good. Sort of. Sort of? Yeah, yeah. that's good. It's I never sort of was, starting me on that. Whenever like someone that. interpreted a dream for me, I was like, well, I had no clue. I just would not have seen that coming. That's, that's fantastic. So we'll pray that in for you in just a moment. There was another dream just over here. But you see what I mean? So there's a central act and then it all, um, sometimes when you dream, you know exactly what the meaning is. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I've just forgotten your name. I'm sorry, ma'am. Carol. Carol. Yeah, so Carol, sometimes the, the meaning will come, um, and you've probably had some training in this, or you kind of have looked into it, or you dream quite a lot. So, so that's, um, that's great. My, my challenge was I would see these things, dream these things, and I just had no clue. 
I was like Beavis and Butthead trying to figure out, you know, what to do in school. And so, I, I, you know, uh, this kind of method really helped me. Let's hear your dream, ma'am. Mine was a couple of nights ago. It wasn't, it wasn't sure. last night, but okay. it, it, it was exactly what Carol was talking about. And thank you, Carol, for that. It, it's like she interpreted my dream, right? And it was, uh, I, I was with a family. And I must have been staying with them or something. And I, and I felt like I was younger, like a, a youthful person. And um, they had a young fella, a boy. He must have been about 16 because he was driving a car. And we were having fun and we were traveling all over the place. And he was showing me his town and, and taking me to the beach and things like that. And in a couple of days later, we were sitting at the, at the dinner table and, and I had been talking to his parents, and, and I looked over at him, and I said, I love you. And, and all of a sudden, I see his face just drop, and he didn't say a word, and I just felt this feeling like I shouldn't have said that. And um, I, I felt a rejection to, that, to those words. And, and then um, a little later on, he, he kind of just totally ignored me and went on his way and told me that I should go and stay with his parents. And that was the end of the dream. But I did feel that, that empty feeling inside after I had said those words. And it hurt. Yeah. It really hurt. Okay. Was it in color or black and white? I think it was color. It was color? Were they vibrant colors or muted? Oh, muted. Muted okay. shades, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, in hearing that, I would say that the central action is you telling this young person that you love them, and that instead of receiving the normal response, you receive the opposite, the rejection. Now, in dreams, again, this is, this is figurative. So what, what's around that to, to illustrate it? Well, you're with a family. And, and families, you know, uh, certainly in the Old Testament, it was, uh, a family was really a lot larger than we expect today. It was kind of, you know, Abraham and his family. Well, it was actually a tribe. So that often will represent community. Family represents community. Um, he said it was a young man who was driving a car. So again, it's really interesting. You look at the imagery of vehicles, and they usually represent a ministry. And so here you have a young man who is driving a car and showing you all, all that, to taking you places to the beach, all this kind of lovely stuff. And to me, that speaks of someone in ministry who has you traveling with him, journeying with him, showing you all that he's doing. And then at the place of fellowship, you know, really, in the life of Jesus, it's, it's around the meals where we see the intimacy really happening. You know, where, where John reclined and rested his head on the breast of Jesus. You know, the, real, the, the meal times are really intimate. And so, in this place of intimacy where you share your love, it's rejected. So, it speaks to me that um, the Lord may be preparing you for a time when he will bring someone in ministry to you who is very successful in the doing. But in the being, in the receiving of love, as a deficit, and doesn't know how to love. And it may be, you know, the enemy is showing you that to show you that if you share that you love someone, you'll be rejected. And, well, that, that was true of Jesus, but actually we see that with the Holy Spirit. If you're not accustomed to being loved, then you can't receive it. And it speaks to me that the Lord might be preparing you for a season to teach someone how to receive love. And, and, you know, the generation, you know, he said he was a young man and it was kind of implicit there that they're of a different age and stage of life. And, and I, I think it's quite it's quite issue. So it seems to me, you know, we had words from the alums that spoke of equipping, training and sending out and raising young people up. And maybe that, you know, it's about a future time where you're working with, I don't know, uh, university students or just in fellowship with maybe some teenagers or, or something along those lines, but that you're, the Lord is going to use you to help people escape that temptation that need to be spectacular in ministry. You don't need to be spectacular, that, but that's the temptation that a lot of people feel. Instead, what you really need, the question is, are you loved? That's the question Jesus brings to, to Peter to reinstate him. Do you love me? Three times. And Anyway. How does that, is that helpful? Is that, how does that sound? So, yeah, that, that's very helpful. So, that, so there's a central event and the rest just comes to illustrate and identify. I have no idea who this person is. And it may be that they're just representative of, of kind of, it's kind of what you do in your ministry. You're a hairdresser, is that right? I think someone told me that. You know, it's really interesting that Esther had beauty treatments for two years to prepare her to save the people of Israel. And there's something, you know, it's quite an intimate thing to cut someone's hair. You usually have a, the luxury of time. 
unless it's uh, you know short back and sides and all that stuff. But you know, and you know, but you, you're kind of the thing that you do is you're helping them to be at ease in their own skin by helping them cut their hair. And um, and and you know, so it's to me it kind of lines up. But we'll pray for you in just a moment if that if that's okay. All right. Yes. Yes, Jan. Um, I was sitting on one of our kitchens. It wasn't so much a, a story dream. It was just a glimpse in a glimpse in time. And I was sitting on one of our kitchen stools, but it was up on a um, platform. And I was sharing and just declaring um, how someone we had really we really love and have been praying for was set free. And in that moment, just was overwhelmed with you really did this god you really set free great so um the central action there is that you're sat on the stool telling of what the lord has done um which is great i mean some of the the most exciting passages of scripture are the the songs or the the things that you know were miriam's song or mary's song or you know the song of uh, the nunc dimittis you know all those kind of things the and it's, it's the telling of the people that are remembering, the act of remembering what the Lord has done so that future generations can know who the Lord is. And so in that, uh, was it in color or black and white? Color, yeah, we kind of have a sense it's from the Lord. Time is a really interesting thing in, in the dream world because for us, time is linear. But God is outside of time. He's not bound in the same ways that we are. So has anyone ever had deja vu? Now, the psychologist will say that is a synapse in the brain that misfires. And that, I mean, it's probably, I don't don't have any kind of degree or I couldn't, you know, I'm not going to go to the cross for that one. But there is a sense that often I would, when I was uh, a teenager, have dreams, really vivid dreams about the future. And then I'd be going about my day when I was at theological college, and especially after I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and I'd have a sudden remembrance of deja vu, and I was like, Oh my word, I've dreamed this. And then I would have a glimpse of what I dreamed. Then all of a sudden, what I dreamed would happen. And it really is a sign of the spirit and the prophetic. And we kind of get caught up in this, this kind of this strange thing where God, who's not limited by time, can speak and, and do things. And, and so for me, when, it's, uh, when you have deja vu, uh, usually it's, it's a sense of the Lord saying that you're on the right track. And I now stop and ask him, okay, Lord, well, is there anything I need to know in this moment? So you're dreaming about a future event, and from the sounds of it, I know we talked about it at breakfast, dreaming about a future event where you're telling of what the Lord has done. And so it's in the future, and you're, declare, and you're telling someone, is it, well, who are you speaking to? Speaking generally. I was just speaking generally, I would, yeah, up on a stage. Okay, on a stool. So, it's, um, so you're speaking in the future about something that the Lord has done that he hasn't done yet. That's amazing. Sorry? It's very hopeful because it means that what he's going to do has very little to do with you. And it means the pressure's off. I think that's fantastic. For me, when the pressure's off, it's like, okay, well, we'll do what we have to do, and, and Lord, it's in your hands. Now, what's interesting is the detail that you're sat on the kitchen stool. And kitchens now have really, I don't, I don't watch HGTV, but... I, when I do, I see there are a lot of Canadian shows on there, which is great, you know, for someone living in Texas. You know, like the Property Brothers. Or, and everybody wants to remodel their kitchen because there's an awareness that the kitchen is the place of hospitality. You know, and people now when they're invited to dinner, you're invited early. And usually, you know, you come into the kitchen and there's still something to be done. Over in Newfoundland, we all know that the party's in the kitchen. You never get to the sitting room. You know, they have these kitchen parties and someone will pull out a fiddle and, you know, it's kind of... All that kind of stuff. Is that, do you guys know that? That actually happens out in the Maritimes. I don't know if you have kitchen parties here in, in BC, but anyway. But there's something about the kitchen being the center of hospitality. And, there, and so for, for you to be sitting on a, a kitchen stool speaks of, um, A, that the place of hospitality will become a place where you will share and declare what the Lord has done. So it speaks to me both of, of, a, spe- of a time of sharing what God has done but also that this will be in a, in, a, in a forum of hospitality. So, Brad, you might need a bigger kitchen. I'm joking. Not, <laughs> not gonna, I'm kidding. What I really mean by that is that it speaks to you both uh, that the Lord is preparing you um, to enter into a season where hospitality becomes the forum for ministry, where it's not just about 
um, cooking, but it's actually about something much greater. And it could be in the church or without the church, and it could actually be a word not just for you, but actually for the whole church, that the Lord may be saying that hospitality is going to be one of the ways that you transform the culture of the city. In fact, I had a dream when I was um, 18 of uh, being in a, a pickup truck and of being driven um, down a hill, turning right by a Tim Hortons and coming into a school. And today, I think I had a dream when I was 18 of being here today. I can remember it clear as day. So it's interesting, isn't it? It's so fascinating. Um, and it's kind of like, whoa, you know, you got to kind of buckle up your seatbelt so you didn't get, you know, head through the windshield kind of thing through excitement. But the Lord uses time and he kind of, because we are constrained by time. Time to us is fleeting. You never have enough. And when you think you have enough, it's taken away. And, and yet the Lord, time, he's not bound by it. And so he will often play with it to make his glory manifest. So why don't we pray into those words? So um, those of the three of you who shared, the four of you shared, why don't you stand where you are? And for those of you who sat around, I'm going to ask, uh, yeah, so the four of you stand. And for those of you who sat around them, why don't you just uh, stand up and, and move around them and lay hands on them? And, um, and we're just going to pray very simply. Okay, so that's right. And um, it's out of God's goodness that he manifests his spirit. And so we really want these words to bear fruit and come to life. So, um, so let's just pray along these lines. Lord, let your kingdom come. Just repeat after me. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let your goodness fill this person. Let your goodness fill this church. And may these dreams come true. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well done. Uh, was that encouraging and helpful? I, 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 Sound, sound like it was to me, but just want to make sure we're on the same page. And I believe that this is um, this, this is so exciting just to be here with you and to, to be able to encourage and share a little bit of what uh, you know we've picked up along the way. And um, we were looking last night, for those of you who were here last night, for those of you who weren't here last night, thank you for coming. And we're looking at the, the invitation, really, of God to partner with Him. And, uh, you know, I think after last night... It, was anyone not here last night? Did you hear what happened last night? No? Okay. Well, you'll find out. You know, I'll be remembered forever as, you know, how we describe it, the, the following the prompting of the Spirit is like a dance. I'm surprised Tish isn't here, but anyway, I won't hold that against her. I don't think I broke her toe when I stepped on her foot. But um, I danced with her as an illustration of what it's like to, 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 um, to respond to the leading of the Spirit. That it's less about duty and more about finding the rhythm that He's looking to lead us in. And for some of us, it will look a certain way. Others will look a very different way. And, uh, and it's all meant to be very... Um, it's meant to be less pressure, something we can relax into and find our stride in. And we looked at 1 Corinthians, where there's uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, which have a description of the divine nature of God, the love of God, that is made manifest in our lives through, by the fruit of the Spirit. And then sandwiched on either side is, a, is an articulation of, of the gifts of the Spirit, of the divine power of God, and how that's made manifest. And the two are integrated together, so they're manifested not for the sake of the individual, but for the sake of the common good. And it's so exciting because it means it's a reminder to us, and Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 12 to talk about how we fit together as a body, that he never gives the answer everything we need to us as individuals. But he holds back. And often when we're going through something, he won't give us the answer to, sh to remind us of our need for community. That's why you can't be a Christian on your own. It doesn't exist. You're something else. But you're not a, you're not a follower of Jesus on your own. You need the community. And, uh, and we, we had this stunning verse from 2 Peter chapter 1. I want to read it to you because I really believe that this is the season that, that you as a church are in. His divine power, His divine power, the gifts of the Spirit have given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So the gifts of the Spirit have been given to us. The gifts of the Spirit have been given to us. And everything we need for life, now that's just not coming to church. That's changing diapers. That's shoveling snow. That's all of the stuff that we do that's not exciting at all and exciting. We've been given everything we need for those moments, the mundane and the exciting. And godliness, where does it come from? Through our knowledge of him. Through our knowledge of the character of Jesus. So we've been given the power of God, the gifts of the Spirit, 
that can help us in life and in godliness through our understanding of his love who called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these two things, his love and his power, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So it's kind of like a circular thing. We've been given the love of God and the gifts of the Spirit so that we have everything we need in life and everything we need for Godly. And as we use these, we discover the great promises that He's given us. And as we lay hold of these promises and internalize them, what do we discover? More of His love and more of the gifts so that we have more than we need for life. I, I just I find that so, so exciting, so interesting. And so with that in mind, let's look at the first gift. If you've got um, your Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. And let me begin just by reading these verses to us. So 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. Now, wisdom pops up all over the scriptures. In fact, there's a whole set of scripture called the wisdom literature. Solomon was wise. Um, The wise guys come at Christmas, you know, with their gifts. In fact, you know, there's all kinds of debate as to how many there were all that. James speaks so eloquently about wisdom and says, to any who need wisdom, all they need to do is ask and will be given to them. But here we see that there's a manifestation of the Spirit for the sake of the common good, which comes to us as a message of wisdom. This is different from wisdom. This is different from advice. How is it different? How many times have you been in a situation where you haven't known what to do with a relationship, work? And the thing is, often when we don't know what to do, it's because we don't have the experience, education, or training in that area. So, for example, I was taken to lunch by a friend who worked at Unilever, and they were looking to... um, they were looking to develop a product that would help the developing world against a number of issues. The first being the scarcity of water that will be uh, present in, you know, by 2020. There just won't be that much water. And most challenges in the developing world is you don't have the opportunity to wash your hands. And so people get sick because of the shortage of water, the inability to wash your hands, and also how easy it is for um, illness to be transmitted and for pandemics to erupt. So they were looking to develop a soap that solved those problems. And they invite me to lunch. I have, I have failed chemistry. There's a story in that, but it's not for now. Um, I, you know, I don't really have any understanding of global warming except that it's happening. Uh, you know, I just had no education, no training, and no expertise. And I got invited to lunch by these three innovators uh, because they were looking to talk about what spiritual health looks like. And so we got to talking, and these two guys, they were like literally brains on legs, you know, and we sat in this pizza place. And they're saying, what does spiritual health look like in the church? And so we're kind of talking about community and and the things that we do, all that kind of stuff. And then this Italian guy says, um, how do you, when someone gets sick, what do you do? And I said, well, we kind of gather around and we lay our hands and we pray for healing and, and we, we show love and compassion, all this kind of stuff. And he said, tell me more about the laying on of hands. So we start talking about the laying on of hands and we have this big lunch and, and they paid for it, which is great. And then I kind of went home. There's one thing that you do that you're not aware of more than anything else throughout the day. And that's touch your clothes. We touch our clothes all and we're mostly unaware of it. You know, kind of like where were my keys or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so they, through the talking about the laying on the hands, he suddenly had this idea that if we could create a detergent, that somehow when you touched your clothes, it would create a protective layer over your hands, then that would help people who don't have the opportunity to wash their hands. And so that as you wash your clothes, you're actually doing something preventative. And anyway, they pitched the idea to Unilever and they did the first trial and it became worth something like 100 million euros. And um, I didn't get a finder's fee, unfortunately, but, you know, but it was really interesting. I didn't really have any expertise, any knowledge, but as we were talking, 
these ideas started coming into my mind, and we're talking about laying on the hands. And if I'm honest, there was a better idea than I ever had in my life. And that is the gift of wisdom, manifested for the sake of the common good, given to us by the same Spirit, who is loving and powerful. So let's look at a couple of instances where it looks like. Where do we find this gift used? Now, there's been a big movie about it, so maybe you've seen it. But could you imagine going to a desert and building a floating zoo in the desert? Well, no. Who, who needs that? But Noah, who's described in Genesis as the only righteous man left, gets this crazy harebrained idea to build a floating zoo, an ocean liner in the desert. And as he begins to do it, people say it's foolishness. And often, you know, when the the gift of wisdom, the, the message of wisdom is manifested, it feels at first that it's foolish. And doing what Noah did sounds like a bad business venture. No one's going to invest in it. How did Noah know how to build that boat? How did he know? Had he seen boats before? It's unlikely because what we know about that is that to, to people in that day, the open sea was a, was a picture of chaos for them, and they didn't like to go out on the open water. It wasn't until much later that fishing became such a big thing. Water was something they avoided. And he is unlikely to have ever seen anything that large on land. The movie makes it clear that Noah didn't know God. And I'm not sure that's true because uh, in the scriptures we see that the only thing that Noah had going for him is that he knew God. And the, only, the real thing going for you when you face a problem is that you know God. It doesn't mean he'll give you the answer to the problem you're facing. But as you come to church, what it does mean is that someone will have come in and the Holy Spirit is likely to manifest in that person for your good. So all of a sudden we see the picture of, of, of when we worship together is becomes this place where the community is this place of empowerment where lives have, are changed. And so Noah goes on and he builds it. He builds the boat. No, Noah knew by God, by the wisdom of God, by an impartation of wisdom in an area of no prior knowledge, no prior expertise to build a boat. Incredible. Now there's another story that I think is perhaps more familiar to you, and it's you find it in the in the, in, uh, the scriptures in the book of Two Chronicles, chapter 20. And this is the story of Jehoshaphat. And uh, Jehoshaphat is there in deep, deep trouble. Let me read to you from verse 12. Let me back up. Verse 1 of chapter 20. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Munites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It's already in Hazazon, Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. It doesn't look good at all. But the one thing that Jehoshaphat's got going for him is that he knows God. And here we see there's a little hint here in the scriptures of what David was like. King David, over and over again in his, in his account, it speaks of him inquiring of the Lord. In fact, the time that David gets into trouble is when we see, and David thought to himself. And then he kind of goes a little off the rails. But here we see Jehoshaphat has something of him like his ancestor David. And he resolves himself, alarmed Jehoshaphat, resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to speak, to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord. And in front of the new courtyard, he said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? What he's doing is he's reminding them. This is why testimony is so important. He's reminding them of what the Lord has done. That's what was so significant of that dream, is reminding people of what God has done, the previous victory. So in the face of uncertainty, we remind ourselves that we know God. We know what he's done before. And if he did it before, he can do it again. If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. No matter what comes, we're committed to worshiping you. But now here are men from... So that's a lovely thing to say. And then he gets specific. And it's very... It's very good to be specific to God. So here we are going to worship you forever, but here's the deal. We've got armies coming from every side whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade. So we haven't really offended them by invading them. They're coming to us unprovoked. 
in verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. It's interesting that the, the position of hopelessness and of powerlessness is very similar, but very different from that of surrender. He knows he's powerless. They know they're done in. And what do they do? In the place of that powerlessness, they surrender to the Lord and cry out to him. And then things get exciting. All the men of Judah, verse 13, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. Then the spirit of the Lord came not upon Jehoshaphat, but it came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite descendant of Asaph, and he stood in the assembly. God doesn't give the answer to Jehoshaphat. This church will face things in the future. John will know all about them. He'll know the implications. He'll know what it'll mean to the budget. He'll know, you know, he'll have all the details because that's the, that's the responsibility that the senior pastor carries. And the Lord will bring the answer maybe to him. But if the New Testament witness is, is right and the, the biblical witness is right, the answer will come from within. Because the, the Spirit of God, the gifts of the Spirit, are the manifestation for the sake of the common good. Just like the answer doesn't come to Jehoshaphat, it comes to Jehaziel. And he stands up and he says, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow march down against them, and they will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerul. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. What does the word, the message of wisdom look like? It's a course of action. It's a series of steps to take in the face of uncertainty that comes from someone who doesn't have any expertise, any training, or any real knowledge. It's clear here that Jehaziel was not a military commander. He comes from a line of priests. So they probably knew how to celebrate communion really well, but this is not the guy you want to send out in special forces. You know, this is not the guy to send into Iraq or to Afghanistan. This is the guy maybe to go to the Vatican and, you know, say hi to the Pope. And if this is the guy who gets the answer. So I don't know what your expertise is, but actually in that place where you don't have the answer facing a problem, what you have to rely on is that you know God. And though you may not have what it takes, you are rich in spiritual capital. And so Jehoshaphat is given this course of action, and in obedience he follows it. Early in the morning they left the desert of Tekoa. As they sent out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After continuing consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. As they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. They've got one thing going for them. They know the Lord. They need his intervention. And so they maintain this posture of praise and worship. And they just cry out to him. And they give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against... This is where it gets really, really strange. Bordering on odd. Because all they're doing is singing and praising. And as they're worshiping God and maintaining this place of surrender and devotion, it somehow enables the Lord to go out and fight the battle for them. Now, it's unlikely in the city of Port Alberni that if you face a problem that the Lord is going to go out and slaughter people. In fact, you have two RCMP usually in your midst, so it's unlikely that that would get anywhere. But what is often physical in the Old Testament is true today in the, in the spiritual so our problems aren't really in flesh and blood, but it's, the, it's in the spiritual realm. It's in the principalities and powers of, of the realm. And so as they worship and as they sing to him, the Lord sets ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who are invading Judah, and they were defeated. The men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men of Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Absolutely bizarre. They just turn on each other. And when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing, and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baccarah, where they praised the Lord. This is why it's called the Valley of Baraka. To this day, 
Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps, lutes, and trumpets. The fear of God came upon all the kingdoms of the countries, for they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. One of the words the Alam spoke over this church and over the families of this church is that you would be a people of peace. And that is really found in one, one way, certainly from this story, and it's through devotion. A kind of devotion that even in the presence of threat and challenges is one that holds on to the fact that we know God, that he's done it for us in the past. And though we do not know how, oh Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And so that's the gift of wisdom. No knowledge, no expertise, but it's the manifestation of the spirit for the sake of the common good. A word of wisdom is often a sudden answer or a course of action in the midst of confusion, a lack of knowledge or a lack of understanding. It's when in a corporate standing, the word of wisdom doesn't have to come through me. Remember, they're all together. And God spoke to one part of the body for the benefit of the whole body. Scripture says we know in part and prophesy in part. And it tells us that we all have a part to play. And as we come together with our parts, we have more than we have more of the whole. And this is what happened here. The gifts aren't given to make us feel powerful. They're given so that the love of God is known. Who here is facing a challenge, a situation where you don't have the answer to? Is there anyone here who's been up at night and going over and over and over a problem in your head? It's as if you type a search thing into Google and Google comes back, no results found. It never happens. The reason why our brain goes over and over again looking at our memories or subconscious is because it's looking for the answer. And the answer doesn't come from within. The answer comes from the community, from the body, from the spirit of God manifesting for the sake of the common good. So that you would know that in this place of uncertainty, God is with you. He loves you. And he's going to bring you what you need from the community. So if you have... Um, something you're facing um, and you don't know what to do, uh, just raise your hand again just so we can. But why don't you just come to the front and either stand or just just, just stand right here. And uh, because you've got the problem, there's no expectation on you. All right? I'm not going to ask you to do anything. That's the good news. The bad news for the rest of the congregation is that it's all on them. All right? So this is uh, what happens next. is not my responsibility, but it's theirs. And um, Is there a lawyer present? I'm kidding. I'm, that's all. I'm just laughing. Okay, so they all have problems. They all have things going on. And uh, I'm not going to ask them what it is. We're not going to ask for any, um, any insight because by beginning to ask them the story, the temptation is to think, oh, I've faced that, then, then maybe I might have something to offer. Remember for Jehaziel, he had no, from what we could tell from the text, the text is um, blatantly absent of any detail of any significance, significant military knowledge. All he knew was God, and that was enough. And these six know God, but they're facing things. And so what I'm going to ask to do, what we're going to do is we're just going to um, just ask them to stay where, where they are, and we're going, to, we're going to seek the Lord. We're just going to together just worship God. And I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but you're singing along, and all of a sudden an idea comes in your mind. I used to think I was being distracted. So I'm singing along, then all of a sudden I think of somebody and I need to give them a call. And I thought, oh, Lord, why can't I just focus on God, all that kind of stuff. But it was actually the Lord giving me um, a course of action to take. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to worship God. And as you, I'm not going to really ask you to look at any of these people, um, but we're just going to worship together and then just wait and see what pops in your mind. And then we're going to give everyone a permission to, to, to get it wrong as well as get it right. And then afterwards, after we've had a time of worship, I'm just going to ask these six to go to different parts of the room and then invite the rest of you to just see what the Lord may have put on your heart and then just go and offer it to them. Okay? Now this, I don't know what you arrived expecting this morning, um, but this is really about trying to learn to see how we can have the Spirit manifest for the sake of the common good. Now obviously when you make a decision, there are a number of things to do. You know, there's... Uh, you want to make sure it lines up with the wisdom of Scripture, so um, not to do something that isn't allowed within Scripture. Um, always check it out with, with 
people that you respect who are, you know, uh, knowledgeable of the faith. So I'm saying if someone says here, you know, give all your money away, don't do that right away. Check it out first with the pastor, you know, check it out. This isn't, um, we don't want any, uh, any bold actions to be done. But I believe that this morning, each of you will get something from the Lord that will help you take a step further with whatever it is you're facing. Why don't we all stand? And uh, I'm going to ask the six of you now just to go to different places around the, around the room, okay? And just kind of spread out. And what the rest of us are going to do, we're going to spend a bit of time just worshiping the Lord. Very much that sense, oh Lord, we do not know what to do, but our, our eyes are on you. And, um, and then after we've just had some time worshiping God, as you feel prompted, just have a look around at the people on the periphery and just go up to them and just um, the things that have been placed in your heart, just offer it to them as a way of encouraging them. How's that sound? Sound good? Okay, let's go for it. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you that we know you. Thank you that we love you. Come, Holy Spirit. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would well up within us, that you would manifest your presence for the sake of the common good, and you would release within us messages of wisdom, for these are brothers and sisters in need of wisdom. Thank you that we need no expertise We need no training. All we need is to rely on you. And so humbly we come before you and we seek you. Come, Holy Spirit. So for those of us in the congregation, I'm just going to ask us to, uh, the scriptures tell us that we come into his presence through praise and thanksgiving. And so just begin quietly or out loud to give thanks to God for something that he's done. All together, it's like raise up a storm of, of thanks. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Feedback to those who are in need of wisdom. But let me just... um, encourage us that if you look at the words that come to the people who are about to have a a big event happen in the Old Testament, they all start with the same message. Do not be afraid or discouraged. And really, so what's the, the opposite of fear is love. The opposite of discouragement is courage. And we see here that the messages come that we are actually, do not be afraid. Why? Because God is with you. His love is with you. Do not be discouraged. You're not on your own. You're not left to your own devices, but he's sending his power to give you everything that you need for life and godliness. And this is the message that comes to the people of Israel, to Jehoshaphat. Jehaziel, they probably called him Jazz for short, gets up and he says, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of whatever you're facing. The Lord is with you to bring his love, to bring his power. And so at the very for this exercise to have worked, for those of you who received, for this to have been a win, you should have felt loved and known that you're not alone, but God is with you to empower you in what you're going through. You may not have received the, uh, the final answer that you need, but because this isn't like the magic eight ball, you know, it says, well, I meet so-and-so unlikely, you know, it's not, this isn't, this isn't fortune telling. This is, this is actually learning how to do life on life where the love of God is being made manifest where the power of God is being made manifest, and where the lies of our culture are being undone. Because the lies of our culture, remember, that we are loved and accepted based on our performance. But the truth is, in God's kingdom, is that we are loved and accepted from the very beginning. Now work it out. And so it's the sense that we are learning here how to allow the Holy Spirit to make manifest. It's like a muscle, you know. And I remember the first time Rachel... I made a deal with God when we got married that I would do anything to support Rachel in her faith and anything to support her in exercise. So um, Rachel wanted to go to this class called Body Balance, which was a combination of the best of yoga and the best of Pilates. I mean, imagine how that went for me. You know, this is how, this is how flexible I am. So uh, we get into this yoga class and I'm, you know, just doing it for her and kind of getting the benefit. And we go one Wednesday and uh, the instructor isn't there. And in comes Joey. And this is in London. And Joey is from the West End. And he teaches not yoga, not Pilates, not body balance, street jazz dance. And he says, hi, everybody. Sorry, but your instructor's not here. But don't worry. We'll have a workout. I'm going to teach you. This is like 2006. Britney Spears' new routine. And I tell you, I was the only guy in a class of 40. And he kept yelling at the back, dude at the back, just do what we do, but do it butch and you'll be fine. You know, so encouraging. And uh, I had never done street jazz in my life. I'd never done any of these moves. And I had no idea what I was doing. 
had I gone a second time, I would have had a better thing to know what to do. And had I kept doing it over and over and over again, I could have been probably pretty good and making lots of money. But, you know, I ran from that as fast as I could. And I said, Rachel, never, ever again will I do street jazz. We'll stick to yoga. And, and, but I haven't kept up with yoga. Therefore, I, that's pretty much as far as I can go. You know, but I know that's horrible. That's horrible. But, you know, my sister has done yoga every day for, or not yoga, Pilates every day for the last six years. And she is incredibly flexible in the whole thing. And in the spiritual life is like that. The more we do something, the more it grows, our ability grows. The more you exercise a muscle, the stronger it gets. Now, I'm not going to touch my toes today. I'm not. I'm okay with that. I'll have to at some point if I don't want to seize up and all that stuff. But I have folk, you know... But if we want to learn how to encourage one another through the manifestation of the message of wisdom by the same spirit, we have to start somewhere learning how to do it so that in worship, we open ourselves up to God, focus on him. I'm often ashamed in worship of how often I'm so focused on myself, what's going on in my life. It usually takes me a lot of time to get the focus off myself onto him. And then the moment we focus ourselves onto him, he redirects our focus often to those around us. And so that's what this was all about. It wasn't getting a perfect bang on solutions. We're going to start a business out of this, but actually learning to take a baby step, a small step into how we can encourage one another. So I hope those of you who are looking, who are facing that, that you received a word of encouragement and of love. John, why don't you come on up? Um, You've got these wonderful paintings here that speak of really the call of this church and what God is saying to, you know, the gateway to glory, which is fantastic. And, you know, the, the, the God's hands and uh, the season that this church is in through what the alums have said and just from getting to know some of you is really a season of internalizing the, the promises. Because what if we look at ourselves in the natural, we may not believe what God is saying, but the spirit is much is more real than the natural. I believe in gravity because I know that if I try to step off this, I will fall. Right? It's just true. Now, what's hard is, is that in the spirit, we're not in a place of fullness yet where the spiritual world is fully um, realized. You know, we see in part, we prophesy in part. But I really have, I have a gift for you because I believe that this is uh, just an encouragement that as you internalize the promises, that what has happened here in this church will multiply and will go to other churches. And what is happening in this church? It's your devotion. It's your desire to, to seek the Lord. And uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is summing up all of the theology that he's crammed into the first five chapters. And he talks about the importance of truth. And he talks about the belt of truth. Now, every good belt needs an even better buckle, right? Because it keeps the truth secure. And, um, and the truth enables us to, to stand our ground and to take our ground. And so... Um, And so I got this for you as a prophetic declaration that as you internalize these promises, the Lord has something to offer you. And it's the nation. Now, Port Alberni, you know, everybody has said, all the the futurologists say that if you want to reach Canada, go to Toronto because of the multiculturalism, all that kind of stuff. But we know that God loves hard to get to places. And with all of my heart, I believe that as you internalize these promises and live up to what God is calling you to, the truth is is that he will use you to shape the nation. I'm going to pray that in. Why don't we all stand? It's almost lunchtime, eh? Holy Spirit, thank you that you're with us. We love you. We worship you. And in the name of Jesus, as I lay my hands on Brother John, really on this church, we declare that this is a season of internalizing your promises, that we might take ground, that this church, Jericho Road, would step forward, led by you and by its devotion to you, that you would use it to raise up a generation of leaders, a generation of people who will shape the nation. So come, Holy Spirit, and may this gift, this buckle, be a sign to the church, to the community, of the truth that you've wrapped it around. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we know not what to do, but our eyes are on you. Help us never move from that place, that all we need is to know you, and the rest will come. In Jesus' name, amen.